Amen. Just a few minutes, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 24 and 25, just those two verses. This morning, we'll look at some other verses as well, but, but those are the uh, kind of the, the main part of our text. If you want to go ahead and find your way there uh, in your Bible or using the Bible app, or, or if you're on our website uh, at the moment, uh, uh, it's already on there for you if you'd like to uh, just use that as well. I wonder this morning what your typical Sunday looks like. If I were to ask you, tell me your typical Sunday, what would you say to me? Perhaps a, a follow-up question would be, um, is your typical Sunday any different um, than, than uh, your ideal Sunday? Would there be a difference in that? So we, so we can have a Sunday where we do typical things, and we'd say, well, this is my typical Sunday. You know, I, I, uh, I go to church, uh, I go home, and I eat a nice lunch, and then um, I take a nap. That sounds like a good Sunday, right? So, so maybe that's your typical Sunday, but, but maybe that's not your ideal Sunday. Maybe if, if you were to say, well, my ideal Sunday is I get up and I go fishing. Maybe that's your ideal Sunday. Maybe something like that. No matter what our Sundays uh, may be like, I can guarantee you that um, our Sundays are not like they were in colonial times. Uh, you know how I know? Because during those times, you could have spent time in jail or at least paid a heavy fine for what was known as Sabbath breaking. Because Sabbath breaking was against the law. And so there was, there was no travel on the Sabbath. There was no, um, there was no uh, doing things for recreation on Sunday. You just did not do those things. In fact, let me transport you to a different time in a different place. Let's go to California, 1855. There was a law that banned noisy amusement on Sunday. And then in 1858, there was a law that prohibited almost all business transactions on Sunday. In fact, the courts prosecuted those who indulged in ministerial shows, horse racing, dancing, and other barbarous diversions on the day of rest. These were known as the blue laws. They were not repealed until 1883. Now, some of you are old enough to remember that there used to um, not be many places that you could uh, uh, go to on Sunday because they just weren't typically open for business on Sunday. And there were certain things that you could not buy on Sunday because it couldn't be sold on Sunday. Listen to what one devotional writer wrote during the colonial times when he said this. The idea of anyone calling himself a Christian making the Lord's Day a season of what is properly called recreation, unnecessary traveling, personal convenience, or profit in temporal things is perfectly shocking. We are of the opinion that such acting could not be too severely censored. We can safely assert that we never yet came in contact with a godly, intelligent, right-minded Christian person who did not love and reverence the Lord's day, nor could we have any sympathy with one who could deliberately desecrate that holy and happy day. 
we feel persuaded that any who in any wise profane or treat with lightness the Lord's day act in direct opposition to the word and the spirit of God. This was from 19th century Plymouth Brethren devotional writer. In reading that, we were like, man, that dude's way out there. That's, that, that just sounds crazy to us, right? But the truth is, even by today's standards, he's not way out there. He's not uh, loony, according to some Christians that believe that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. Even in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we read this, the Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even for such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days and spending the whole time in the public and private exercise of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. There was a popular Presbyterian study on that catechism that said this, television, reading, newspapers, and magazines, and engaging in sports and excursions are not proper activities on the Sabbath. Some Christians believe it's wrong to even talk about anything except for spiritual matters on Sundays. You might be happy to know that I don't agree with these views. So I, I didn't tell you that to say, and they're all right, you can't be doing anything on Sunday. But the truth is, we are kind of out of sync with many current Christians and ones from the past. For example, when was the last time you've ever second-guessed anything you've done on Sunday? Where you said, should I really be doing this? Have you ever just stopped and asked yourself, should, is this something I should be doing today? And for many of us, Sunday is the day that we watch some football, we mow our lawn, and do all the stuff that needs to be done that would send that 19th century devotional writer into cardiac arrest. I know this message um, is risky because it, it can alienate both sides, right? So those that believe Sunday is the Sabbath, it, it can alienate them. And, and those that believe that we should do uh, nothing, you know, it, it can alienate those guys. And those that believe Sunday is just like every other day, I can also eliminate them with this message. So today, I just want to challenge you how it is that you view Sunday. I guess you could say that, that this morning I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender this morning. Now, my desire is to stand on the truth of God's word and that we would apply that truth of God's word to our lives. And so the sermon in a sentence is this. Sunday should not be like every other day, but extraordinary. You know, I, I thought about getting some, some red hats that said, make Sundays great again. But, but I restrained myself from doing that. I didn't, I didn't know that that would be too popular. But uh, Sunday should typically be spent in worship. At least somebody thought that was fine. But uh, instruction, prayer, and rest from our ordinary duties. I say typically because we are no longer under the law of Moses, which imposed strict penalties for minor infractions. Under the law, there was no exceptions for breaking the Sabbath. You just could not do it. Let me give you an example. God said as man was gathering um, wood on the Sabbath, he was to be stoned to death. Numbers 15. So Sunday is really now the Sabbath, and the church should immediately discipline those who do anything that's in violation of the holy day because they have broken the fourth commandment. 
So I don't, I don't agree with those who say that Sunday is actually the Christian Sabbath day. This is not what the Apostle Paul taught. He did not tell the new Gentile believers in Christ that they had to observe the Sabbath. But you know what he did tell them and, and what he explained to them? He said that he was concerned because the Galatians were observing days and months and seasons and years in Galatians 4.10. He also told the Romans that the matter of observing one day above another day or every day alike was up to each person's conscience. And then listen to what he says in Colossians. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. It makes it hard to imagine that Paul would have written any of these things to new Gentile believers if he felt that Sunday was now the new Christian Sabbath. One last thing, the Jerusalem Council gave the stipulations for the Gentile believers to observe so that they would not needlessly offend the Jews, and yet they never ever in any of that mentioned keeping Sunday as holy to the Lord. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, the message is how should we spend Sunday and the premise is let's make Sunday extraordinary and so with that said I want us to look at God's Word and so if you're willing and able I would ask that you please stand out of respect for God's Word as we look at Hebrews chapter 10 and read these two verses verses 24 and 25 I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning of Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 where we read these words from the Lord and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near let's pray father take this word and penetrate our hearts this morning may the things that come out of my mouth be not my words but may they be your words may it be what you have what you have convicted me to say, may I not be fearful of what you have brought for me to say, and may I boldly proclaim your word this morning. And Lord, more than that, I pray that we would boldly hear your word this morning, and not just be hearers of the word only, but that we would be doers of the word. And as we hear your word proclaimed, we would be asking ourselves, how can I do the word in my life? What can I do to make this active in my life? Lord, I pray that you would speak for your saints are listening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to focus on two primary points this morning. Yes, just two primary points. I know it's unbelievable, right? The first one is what should we be doing on Sunday? And the second is why we should rest on Sunday. So the first is what, what is it that we should be doing on Sunday? Notice I said should. And the second is why should we rest on Sunday? So first, notice why we should typically spend Sunday in worship, instruction, prayer, and rest from our normal duties. Let me say right up front that there are no commandments to tell us to keep Sundays as the holy and as the Christian Sabbath. They're not like, oh, Sunday is holy and everybody's got to keep that day as holy. The only command regarding church attendance is what I just read to you. Which is why I read it, because it is a command regarding church attendance. 
We are to consider how it is that we can come together and that we can stir one another up. And, and what does the author of Hebrews say? For love and for good works. And we're not supposed to neglect this meeting together, this time together. But we should encourage, as we come in, we should encourage one another. So our habit is to be that we would meet with one another. We have some examples in the New Testament of the early church meeting on Sundays, not on Saturdays, but on Sundays. Acts 27, Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. But there are still no commandments to say that you have to meet on Sunday. So that would mean that it's not a sin to miss church. It's not a sin. I know. I just said that from the pulpit. <laughs> And as long as that's not your habit, it's not a sin. It's okay. Now, why do I say that? Well, perhaps you've been around people that have intentionally tried to make you feel guilty if you miss a Sunday. You ever been around somebody like that? That, that you miss a Sunday and they're like, they're all like inquisitive, like, oh, where were you? What were you doing? Oh, you think that's more important than church? You know, that kind of thing? It's really okay to miss a Sunday. But it can't be your habit. Have you ever been Jesus shoot by somebody for missing a Sunday? You know what a Jesus shoot is, right? That's when they, they try to like insert Jesus. So this is this is kind of how it goes. You know, like maybe maybe you miss a Sunday because you were on vacation. And somebody will say something like this. Good thing Jesus didn't take vacation on the day he was going to die on the cross for our sins. <laughs> right? That's a Jesus shoot. And and I've been around that before, and I've been Jesus juke many times. If, you, if it's your habit to miss Sunday, then it's sinful. Let me tell you a secret. I've missed a few Sundays before. One time I was in the hospital, so that, that was kind of a good excuse. But, but I've missed, I've gone on vacation and not gone to church on Sunday. Now, sometimes we find a church and go, but there's been times I haven't. Or we're traveling or doing something else. But if that's how I typically spent Sundays, if, if every Sunday I'm like, oh, I'm not going, I'm going to go fishing, I'm going to do this, then I'd have a spiritual problem. However, suppose occasionally that is what we do because we're on vacation. In that case, I don't believe that warrants church discipline and that's sinful. Now, what I want to do uh, is first see why Christians met or why Christians should meet on Sunday and then what Christians should be doing on Sunday. So why Christians should meet on Sunday. The why is because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. We gather together because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. John the Revelator wrote Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Most Bible scholars agree that the Lord's day, uh, John was meaning, was Sunday. Christian worship made a change from Saturday to Sunday through this long process that coincided with the spread of the faith of the Gentiles. Uh, the reason Sunday became the Christian day of worship because this was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Christians would gather on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the whole point. So even when we gather on Sunday today, like when we come together on Sunday, the whole point of us coming together is that we should be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Should be a celebration. And so when we see Paul and his companions, they're heading to Troas. Luke gives us this report. This is what he says. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them in Acts 20, verse 7. Now it appears that they met on Sunday evening because Paul was extending his message 
one time until midnight. So I'm going to guess that they would that they didn't start in the morning. If they did start in the morning, that was one long sermon. And let me just say, I don't want to ever hear anybody complain about the length of my sermons. But 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 it went late into the evening at midnight. Some dude fell out of the window. And the reason that they met in the evening was because Sundays were not a typical day off. Christian slaves could not meet on Sunday morning, so they couldn't get there because they didn't have the day off. And so they met in the evening. Tertullian, who wrote in the early 3rd century, was the first Christian to urge for the cessation of labor on Sundays. But it was not based upon the Sabbath command, but instead on the need to preserve Sunday as a day of worship. Constantine, who wrote in the 4th century, was the first to prescribe Sunday as a day of rest. There is no indication that the early church viewed Sunday as a Christian carryover from the Jewish Sabbath. There's no New Testament commands or examples of what believers may or may not do on Sundays. John said it was the Lord's Day, which means he considered that day to be especially belonging to the Lord. And we have examples of the early church gathering on Sundays for the Lord's Supper and instruction from the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. We also have the example of the early Jerusalem church, which shows us several things that I want to look at um, this morning. Uh, mainly, uh, typically on Sunday, we should gather together as saints for worship, for instruction, for fellowship, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. We should gather together on Sundays for worship, for instruction, for fellowship, for the Lord's Supper, and for prayer. We read in Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we read, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. These verses tell us that what we should be doing as a church on Sundays. We don't have to go look somewhere else in the world to see what it is that we should be doing on Sundays. Guess what? God's Word tells us what we should be doing on Sundays. First, we should gather together for worship. We should gather together for worship. I'm using that word worship here in this broad form, meaning all of the activities that we see in Acts 2.42 and Colossians 3.16. Often we think of worship as singing, right? We, we're like, oh, well, we, we had a great time of worship, and often we're referencing the singing, but, but it's so much more than that. Worship should take place when we're singing, yes, and when we're praying, and when we're participating in the Lord's Supper, and all through the preaching of the Word. I actually like what John MacArthur says when he states that worship, by the way, is not music. Worship is loving God. Worship is honoring God. Worship is knowing God for who He is, adoring Him, obeying Him, proclaiming Him as a way of life. Music is one way that we express adoration. And then in his book, The Ultimate Priority, he says this, Worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that He is. William Temple defines worship as this. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, and to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. You see, worship happens in our lives when we realize just how great God is. And at the exact same time, we realize just how small we are. That drives you to worship. And so when we when we come together on Sunday, it should be to worship God. It should be this coming together to, to see just how great 
God is and just how small we truly are. And why would this great God love us? It should cause worship in our life. So we come together for worship. We gather for instruction in God's word. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read my Bible, I like to put myself there. I pretend like I can, I can hear Peter and James and John and all these other apostles explain and expound on things about Christ from all these different scriptures. And I like to pretend like I'm not the guy that fell asleep and fell out of the window. And, and, and when Paul was preaching in Troas throughout the night, the Puritan's sermons lasted an hour at least. Sometimes their sermons lasted two hours. And that was just normal. Like everybody, that's just what they expected. Oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hear a two-hour sermon today. And, and, and they believed that that's what you were supposed to do. And this is what they said. The first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligent preaching of the word of God. Some people think that preaching, oh, it's outdated and it's, it's a poor way to communicate with those from a younger generation. But I would argue that just like in the days of the Puritans, faithful preaching is the basic ingredient for faithful pastoring. The number one criteria for finding a good church is not, well, well, how good's their music, or do I like their music, or what's their children's ministry like, or what is their teen ministry like? None of that is, is really supposed to be significant. It should be, does this church treasure the word of God, and do they, do they teach the word of God without compromise, and do they practically equip the saints of God for the work of, the, for the work of service to God? Without adequate preaching, the saints are not equipped. You can't be equipped if, if the word of God is not expounded adequately. I refer you back to the sermon in this series, What is a Good Church, that we preached a couple months ago. Thirdly, we gather for fellowship. We gather for fellowship. Now, some of you are like, yes! Fellowship. I love coffee and donuts. That's fellowship, Right? Well, it can be, but but when you read that, the church was devoted to fellowship. It wasn't a reference to donuts and coffee. True fellowship refers to sharing together in the things of Christ and the gospel. It, it included things like loving one another in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. It included things like serving one another in Galatians 5, 13. And including things like building one another up in Ephesians 4, 16. And all these relational commands that we find all through Scripture that are all centered on Jesus Christ. You see, being a part of a church is supposed to be more than you just coming to a worship service. You all have heard me say this before, but how well do you know the people in this church, outside of the church? How much time do you spend with the people that are in this church, outside of the church? If all you know of each other is what you see of one another on Sunday in church, that's a problem. You have to get to know one another. That means you have to open your home to people. That means it's okay. Hey, it's okay to invite somebody over to your house and have lunch or do a cookout or say, hey, can we just, can we hang out? Can, you, can, can we spend time together? Your house doesn't need to be immaculate. Now, I know some of you feel that way, but come on. Is anybody's house immaculate? Well, some of y'all's house is, but is, is anybody's house immaculate? <laughs> I know mine's not, probably because I don't help clean enough. We need to get to know one another, spend time with one another, help each other grow in Christ outside of the walls of the church. 
Fourthly, we gather for the Lord's Supper. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read that the breaking of bread, which, which may refer to the communal meal, but also included the Lord's Supper, which we do not have a command to celebrate the Lord's Supper every single week. It seems that it was a common practice for the early church, though. And I think it's probably worth imitating the best we can. The Lord's Supper proclaims and gives us a picture of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. And he's coming again. He's, his shed blood covers all of our sins for everybody that believes in him. And if you think about it, if you have the Lord's Supper weekly, it serves to hold you accountable, doesn't it? I mean, how are you going to come and take the Lord's Supper with sin in your heart? Let's say you have a fight with your spouse or your kids during the week. You need to confess that before the Lord and ask for forgiveness as soon as you can uh, before you take the elements. Or maybe you're having a problem with another believer in this church and, and you need to commit yourself to do all you can to make it right. So that as you think back over the week, you'll ask yourself, have I sinned in thought? Have I sinned in deed? What, what kind of sin is in my life before I take of these elements? Do you need assurance in your life as a child of God? Lord, Supper gives you that. It serves as a reminder that you stand forgiven before God, not based on your performance, but because you trust in the death of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, currently we don't celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly, but perhaps that will change in the future or at least we will celebrate it more often. And I think we'll be better for it. Fifthly, we gather for prayer. We gather for prayer. Acts 2.42 literally reads, they were continually devoting themselves to prayers. They were continually devoting themselves to prayers. It refers to set times of corporate prayer, wherever and whenever the church meets, whether it's in a large meeting on Sunday or from house to house at another time, prayer should be woven into the fabric of the church. I love it when, when I see um, people in our church praying for one another. I love it when I, when, I, when I hear someone saying, hey, can I just pray for you? I love it when people have gathered for me in times of special prayer and said, hey, we just want to pray over you, Pastor. I love that because we're, we're going to the throne of God. We had a great time of prayer the other night, and, and I made that prayer guide available for everyone. Prayer should really permeate everything we do. In fact, our singing can and should be directed to God in the form of prayer. Bill Sexton over here maintains a prayer list that you can, you can have emailed to you if you want every single week. Just say, hey, I want that prayer list emailed to me, and he'll get you on the email plan. Sometimes I just take our directory, and I just pray through it. Just open it up, and just I just start praying through it. So if you have a request, let me know. Just say, Pastor, can you pray for me? I'd be glad to do that. I would consider that a great privilege. This is something that you can do as well. You can take the church directory and pray through it. It's amazing. You can lead in prayer in your personal and family life. Prayer should be normal. It should be frequent. It should be our response to personal problems when they arise. Or when you're talking with someone who's facing a problem, prayer acknowledges our total dependence on the Lord. I have these little cards I, I, I printed up. We're going to make more of them. It just says on this on the front, how can we pray for you? Submit a prayer request. To, and it has our website. And if you go to that website, a uh, little thing will pop up and you can submit a prayer request. And it immediately opens uh, Facebook Messenger. And I can start chatting with anybody that wants to submit a prayer request. On the back, you can, if you, some of you youngsters, you can scan the QR code with your with your phone and it'll immediately open Facebook Messenger if they have that and, and they can just start chatting with me. I've prayed for uh, over 20 people now. 
just just bring them on Facebook. Just just recording a prayer and praying for them, and then I invite them to church. Pray for me. Prayer should be about who we are. An excellent way to enhance your time in church on Sunday is to prepare your heart the night before. Now, I kind of have to do this because I'm, pre I'm preaching on Sunday, so I should prepare my heart the night before. Uh, I have to spend time uh, with the Lord on Saturday night. That's why I typically try not to stay out too late on Saturday nights because I have to go over and pray. Uh, I have to go over and pray for, through my sermon and that sort of thing. And I, I like to be uh, like that to be the last thing on my heart when I go to bed. It's just my, my message and what I'm going to say the next day. But if many of us would just spend some time on Saturday night alone with the Lord, I think our Sunday morning would be that much better. The Puritan George Swinock said this uh, uh, to us. He advised that light the fire of your heart in worship on Saturday night like the ember in your fireplace. It is sooner kindled anew on Sunday morning. Here's what I want us to, to understand. If we want to grow in Christ, make Sunday the Lord's day not ordinary. Make it the Lord's day. Make Sunday truly extraordinary. Not just like every other day. Ask yourself, how can I use the Lord's day for the most spiritual profit? There will be this great benefit to you spiritually if your habit is to typically spend the Lord's day meeting with the saints for worship, instruction, fellowship, the Lord's supper, and prayer. Now I want to spend just a few minutes here um, at the end giving a suggestion. This is not a command. This is a suggestion, but I believe it would be a great benefit spiritually, physically, emotionally, and relationally to everyone. And that's this. Typically, point number two. I told you it's a two-point sermon. Point number two. Typically, we should spend Sunday resting from ordinary duties. Typically, we should spend Sunday resting from ordinary duties. Now, this principle does come from the Sabbath in the Old Testament and from Jesus' own words in Mark 2.27 when he said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Exodus 31.17 tells us that God rested and was refreshed. Now, that's not saying that God was tired and he had to take a break. What he, what, what he was doing is giving an example to his covenant people, Israel, although now we're not under the law of Moses. Sunday's not the Christian Sabbath, as we've already established. There's no New Testament can, commands to observe a day of worship and rest. The principle of actually setting aside one day each week for that purpose is still a benefit. It's a benefit to us spiritually and physically and emotionally and relationally. And I believe as much as is possible, we should cease from work of, uh, that we do on all the other days and be refreshed in our bodies and souls as we spend time worshiping our creator and fellowshipping with his people. And I get it because life's busy, right? Life is busy. Life is so busy, I was writing my sermon yesterday. That's how busy my, my last week was. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, I gotta get my sermon done. And I know what it's like to feel, feel uh, Sunday is the only day that you can get something done. And I know that some people, they're actually required to work on Sundays. And if that's your situation, then, then try to, to make some time on another day to listen to a sermon. And, and listen to some praise music and read your Bible and pray longer than what's your usual time in prayer. We all need some weekly time to recharge our spiritual batteries. 
we're often so busy during the week, the time of the Lord actually gets squeezed out or it gets hurried. We struggle to take time to read God's word, take time to pray, take time to read Christian books, or even just pause and reflect and ask ourselves if our life is pleasing to him. When's the last time you actually just paused? Just paused. And sat in silence. And said, God, is my life pleasing to you? And just listen. Because when we take time to spend with someone, you know what that is? It's a way of saying I love you. It's a way of saying you are important to me because I'm going to spend time with you. You've heard it said that love is spelled T-I-M-E. So if you want to get to know more about the Lord, you must be first in your life. Say, Lord, I love you. I want to get to know you more. I want you to be first place in my life. This is also a day that you can spend time with your family or with other believers. It's okay. Have, have a little picnic at your house or, or something and just spend time with people. You can even take some of that time and instruct your children in the faith. This is time to rest from your personal work if you can. The main, the main idea is to make sure that your family regularly gathers with other believers to worship the Lord. I want to give you a warning. I want to give you a warning because Christians always have this struggle. And that struggle is this danger of becoming legalistic. And you know what that is? That's where you make extra biblical rules. And so Christians sometimes, they pride themselves on, on making extra biblical rules. And not just making them, but then they keep those rules. And then, not do they just make those rules and keep those rules. You know what else sometimes Christians do? They judge other people who do not keep their rules. And that's what the Pharisees did, right? That's how they operated. They wrongly applied the Sabbath laws in Jesus' day. And, and, and even when we look at the Puritans in many respects, they did the same thing. They went overboard in Sabbath keeping. They made these rules, and then they judged everybody else based upon the rules that they made that were extra biblical. And then they started saying, well, that person, they, they can't be a Christian. They can't be a strong Christian, even if they are a Christian. Let me read for you some of the things that people got in trouble for. Okay? You, you're going to be shocked. Some people in New England, some young lovers, went on trial for this. Sitting together on the Lord's Day under an apple tree in Goodman Chapman's orchard. How dare you? Another person was publicly reproved because they wrote a note about common business on the Lord's Day. At least in the evening, somewhat too soon, it said. Elizabeth Eddy, who resided in Plymouth, was fined for wringing and hanging out clothes. Scandalous. A New England soldier was fined. This one's funny, I'm sorry. For wetting a piece of an old hat to put in his shoe to protect his foot. How dare him? Wet a hat and put it in a shoe. Unbelievable. 
I wonder why when people talk about the good old days, they don't mention these things. Sometimes when somebody talks to me about the good old days, I ask them, just how far back do you want to go? <laughs> and thankfully, we don't have this kind of legalism, but we still have to guard against the danger of it because we're not under the law, right? And we, we praise God that we're not under the law. That there are not any of these New Testament commands that say you, you have to keep Sunday as the Sabbath day, except for the command that don't forsake coming together with other believers. And with that said, I really believe it will further your growth and the growth of your family in the Lord if you if, if your typical habit is to just spend the Lord's Day meeting with God's people for worship, spend the Lord's Day meeting with God's people for instruction and for fellowship and the Lord's Supper and prayer, and then taking some time to rest from your normal duties. And I believe that this will make your Sunday extraordinary. However, here's the thing. Sunday really can't be extraordinary unless you first trust in Christ as your Savior. Without Christ, Sunday is just any other day. There's really no need to gather for worship or instruction or anything else if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to know that today, Sunday can be extraordinary. Because today you can place your trust in Christ as your Savior. How do you do that? Well, you call out to Christ to save you. And that can be done in prayer. You can pray something like this, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's son and that you died for me to forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. It's not a magic prayer. It's just you saying, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust in what you've done. I trust that I'm a sinner, but that you came to save me. If you said that prayer or something like it, I'd love to follow up with you. You can come forward this morning, or if you're online, or even in your pew, you can do this. You can text the word FAITH to 309-328-3488. If you don't have a, a smartphone, you can just send a regular text message to 309-328-3488. Allow me to follow up with you. Let me close with this interesting illustration. Jewish film critic Michael Medved who's not a Christian, said, however urgent the phone calls and the faxes or in our day uh, text messages and the demand of career may be, the Sabbath reminds us that the voice, voices of children, the company of friends, and the giving of thanks to God are far more important. I really hope that you desire to make Sunday extraordinary that you gather for worship, gather for instruction, gather for fellowship, gather for the Lord's Supper, gather for prayer, and then you take some time to rest from your normal duties. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word this morning. It's faithful and true. And Lord, I, I thank you that, that we're not commanded that Sunday is, is the Christian Sabbath. Lord, I also thank you that your, your word gives us these principles. That if we would live by them, 
We'd find great peace. We'd find great joy. We'd have fellowship with one another. Our prayer lives would be better. Our spiritual lives would be improved. Because we've come together for, for this time of, of worship, of worshiping you on your terms, not on our terms, of instruction in your word, of prayer with one another, having the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> spending this time with you. And Lord, there may be, there may be some that, that hear this message and they're workaholics, man. They don't know what it is to rest. They don't know what it is to take time and spend that time with you and resting in your loving embrace. God, would you speak to them this morning? Would you embrace them in your loving arms? God, would you let them know that you are in control? We like to say that you're in control, but we live as if you're not. I do that in my own heart. Proclaim you're in control and live my life like you're not in control. Lord, would you give us the rest that we truly need? peace that truly passes all understanding would you let us know God that you got this whole world in your hands so Father I pray for those that need rest that they would find it that they would stop and they would pause and they would truly ask Lord is my life pleasing to you and we just wait and we'd sit in silence and listen for your answer. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning or that hears this online, maybe next week, next year, I don't know. But maybe they've heard the gospel with some clarity. They understand that they can't, they can't have Sunday be extraordinary without you. Maybe you've spoken to them. Maybe you've begun to draw their heart. I pray that you come to know Christ as your Savior. And Lord, I pray that however you may have spoken to us this morning, that we would respond to your word. I pray this in Jesus' name.